JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard, a pick six. For the Maniac! Touchdown, I-N-D-Y! Yes, sir! Oh, 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 the chicken! Double time! Miles Turner! Yeah! John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome in. It's a Wednesday. It is the, I guess, calm before the storm. I'm going to see if I can't get Chris Wright to call in here a little bit later on to tell us exactly what we need to expect. We never know what to expect. We kind of do, but it never really happens, as they say. It's not their fault. It's Mother Nature's. But there's supposed to be a bunch of junk going on beginning around 5 o'clock tomorrow. That's when I'm on the air tomorrow. Live with a slippery noodle for our Larcity Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots. So if the weather outside is frightful, then get your ass down to the slippery noodle with us and the free samples will flow and we'll have a great time. And know this, that this building, not all of it, most of it, And Urban One Radio here in Indianapolis, we're having our Christmas party down there, everybody. So that's going to be outstanding. So come on down and join us tomorrow. We will be the calm for you before the storm. Can't go out and get anywhere right now, that's for sure. All right, big news of the day. And I don't think it is big news other than it's quarterback news or maybe even just any news in general. But the Colts have named their starter for Monday night against the L.A. Chargers, and that starter is going to be Nick Foles. And before you lose it over it, I want to remind you, at this moment, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I can give you some reasons why maybe it will matter. I'm not suggesting these reasons are accurate, but I'll give you some reasons why Maybe it will matter, but right now it doesn't. It doesn't matter in terms of all of a sudden you're going to slot in somebody we believe this team is going to take off. He does have a tremendous history of helping out while coming off the bench. 
He's obviously a Super Bowl champion. All this stuff that you already know, you don't need me here to regurgitate all that information. What you need me here to do is try to simplify it as to why. And that's exactly what I did. It doesn't matter. They're probably still going to lose. They likely, with the exception of Houston, will lose out. They'll give themselves the best opportunity, you would hope, to draft a quarterback. And the only thing, the only thing that may make a difference, and I'm not even sure it does, like, I'm not trying to talk myself in to this gibberish I'm spouting right now. But maybe it is. We haven't seen this dude yet. We paid this dude all season long. All right, let's see this guy. And then maybe when you go out and you draft a quarterback, this guy is the backup. Or this guy is the grizzled veteran here. I'm not sure that that is the reason. I'm not sure that that is even close to being a valid reason. But it is something that crossed my mind. It just crossed my mind after the fact that it just doesn't matter. You're at a point right now where I don't care what the math tells you. Think about what the math tells me at the beginning of every year when I tell you, you know what, this is a huge game. It's a must win. And then everybody in the world, including mathematicians, tell me that I'm inaccurate. I don't care what the math says then. and I don't care what the math says now. It's over. It's done. You are playing for the future. And we may not like who is making the decisions as this team plays for the future, but that looks to be the way that it's going to go. And they're finally going to do something, right, that a lot of people have been wanting them to do for a while. And that is get off get off this treadmill of bringing in that guy and that guy, bring in the old guy. And then you know, talk in the owner of this guy, and then the owner can't stand this guy, so this guy is out, and you find something that is what you believe to be in the offseason reasonable to bring in, which clearly was an absolute disaster. But more so than anything else, stop the downhill slide of this organization being embarrassing. Stop that. That's where you start. You start by saying, all right, enough is enough. We're sick and tired of looking like a horse's rear end right here. We're sick and tired of being the punchline. We're sick and tired of being the butt of jokes as this organization was back when it first got here and basically was other than maybe one or two seasons up until the beginning of the Manning era. That's what you got to stop. You got to find footing on your decision makers, and those decision makers, you got to figure out where you're going directionally to. And that's the thing I always wonder about. All right, Chris Ballard, sure, Jim Mercer still trusts Chris Ballard. I just don't know why. That's tough to figure out why. And as we always ask those that cover the team, and granted, these people are certainly more plugged in and covering the team on a daily basis than I am. But it always starts out with, well, you know, this is what he's done in the draft. What he has done in the draft, what he has done blueprint-wise, has led this team to where it is right now. And the largest of the large that you're trying to rectify is finding that long-term decision-maker under center. 
the long-term guy for your organization. And that guy being the right guy. But to me, I just kind of sit back and go, all right, well, six years, six years is enough. You'd like to think six years is a long time doing that gig in the NFL. You know, six years is almost like times two the amount of time you get to be a top-notch running back, for goodness sake. So it stand to reason that coaches and general managers are on a clock that's twisting pretty quickly. But it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Put him in there. Maybe there's a spark. If there is, okay. But I think we all know how this thing's going to end. We've been privy to this story before. Not all of a sudden, this, this team is going to give you a complete game. Anybody believe that right now? 33 nothing at the half? And then gag that thing up in the fashion in which you did? So, no, it doesn't matter. You're going to say, well, wait a minute. We haven't seen enough about Ellinger. Well, clearly they have. I think I have too. You're going to say, well, you saw two games. How is that enough? I think we know what we're dealing with here. I think at best, even when he took over that job, he being Sam Ellinger, we thought, hey, you know what? We'll see what he has, and maybe he can be a longer-term backup. It was only a select few that was trying to twist him into this starting quarterback status that wasn't going to happen. I'm not suggesting that that uh, Washington loss, for example, was on him. But I think we know. I don't want him to be the answer. I want them to go out and draft a stinking quarterback with that first-round pick. That's what I want them to do. I want them to figure out what they like, and I want them to go out and execute that plan, and I want to see them execute it positively and accurately. How many do-overs do you have at that position until you finally try this one? I mean, how many more years? And I know what that means, too, and you're right. And what that means is... It's not like if Chris Ballard is going to be around here for year number seven, then he's definitely going to be around here for year number eight, regardless of what happens. So at some point, we're all going to be kind of those of us out there that are saying, hey, enough's enough here. We're all going to be wasting our breath, which you probably are anyway. And it's not because we have an agenda. There's no agenda here. It is just talking about this team in terms of where it is and where it should be and what it has not done. And that's that. But it doesn't matter. You're paying Nick Foles, see Nick Foles. I don't know when was the last time a starting quarterback in the NFL was benched twice in a season. Do we know this? Mitchell Trubisky would be the answer to that. Was it this? It wasn't this last year? Yeah, this year he was he was benched twice as a starter. That's some rarefied air right there. That's the rarefied air that Jim Mercer should have been talking about is having a quarterback that you go out, by the way, you go out and you find because you were mandated by the owner to go out and find them, anybody but Carson Wentz, and that's what you bring in. And, yeah, he's not ready at all. I still go back to the conversation we had, and he was a fantastic talk. But, man, he thought he had four years remaining. That seems to be tough. Future Hall of Famer, probably. 
I mean, who knows the way this thing goes. And maybe this also, if you want to look at it this way, maybe you can point the finger at Jeff Saturday being more than the head coach here and being that informational mole that we've been talking about. All right, well, I've seen all this on the team right now, and I've reported back to the owner, so let's go ahead and see what Nick Foles have. And then I can evaluate that and report that back to the owner as well. Again, I would question why that is necessary considering you're already paying a bunch of people on this staff to do a lot of that, but whatever. But close out this season, go into the offseason, and prepare to draft your quarterback, and before anything else, make sure that you no longer are the embarrassment and the laughing stock of the league. Don't be that anymore. Nobody likes that. Us of the older generation, we find that all too familiar, and we don't like reliving those times. So let's not do that. Mostly I'm on board with you. So we can talk about Nick Foles if you like. Yeah, some of you are telling me right now I haven't seen enough of Sam Ellinger. What more are you looking at? What what do you want to see? What You know what? Better said. What do you expect to see here? What do you expect to see? Something else? I mean, at some point, doesn't it kind of turn into like what we talked about and made light of prior to the decision to start him at quarterback? It's like Chad Kelly. It seems like that the legend of expectation is certainly a lot more than what the player on the field is ever going to be able to back up. Does anybody expect that he gets out of here and goes someplace else and gets more of an opportunity and blossoms to a higher level? What have we not seen if you do want to see it again? And granted, this is probably not over. You may very well see him again. Who knows who you may see see again? Because you got Monday night with Foles as a starter. On the road against the Giants and then at home against Houston. So you still have some time, some time to see him again. You may see him again. I guess you can view it as no stone unturned. That's a bunch of crap. I'm sure that's not the case. So it, it just doesn't matter. Nick Foles is your starter coming up on Monday night. Do you want to double back to that Saturday game in Minneapolis? You know, and a lot has been made this year. This dude has been doing this forever. But a lot has been made this year because now you really are notable when you go viral. When you go viral. And Paul Allen was the guy that went viral, if you remember, for the Vikings as their play-by-play man when they went to that epic battle against Buffalo early in the season. Well, we kind of thought maybe we ought to double back because I wonder if there was some vintage Paul Allen from Saturday. Because I said that game was like the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde for both teams, really. But you can also have the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde from the play-by-play man, especially if you're a play-by-play man like that. And that is twofold here. You have the game play-by-play, series-by-series, It is basically you're wearing it on your sleeve. It's your heartbeat. That's what matters most in your life at that moment. Fourfold. 
That's what you care about. And then you know that your stuff goes viral and in your mind, just no way around it. You can tell everybody that you don't, but in your mind of social media the way that it is, you're kind of wanting to see where you can take it and maybe take this thing a little bit more viral. So you would have to think that if there was an epic game like that Buffalo-Minnesota game, that a Jekyll and Hyde game like what we saw on Saturday in Minneapolis also would bring out some of the best from Paul Allen. Do we have that ready? This is Paul Allen on the Vikings Radio Network, the best of from Saturday. Fake a punt and blow it. Snap, Hawk, left-footed punt, bad punt. Rager runs up on it. Their punter's terrible. Flag comes in. This referee called um, officiating his first Viking game, Trey Blake. I hope you never come back again. Empty snap, another four-man rush. Throws left to Jefferson, who's blasted by Stephon Gilmore, who should be thrown out of the game. Stephon Gilmore should be thrown out of the game for that hit. And he's lucky that somebody doesn't come off the sideline and whoop his butt. And it's intercepted at the three-yard line. For some reason, Jalen Rager stopped running the route. Yeah, get him off the field. Are you kidding me with this Jalen Rager move? What are we doing? That's the second interception that Cousins has thrown trying to get the ball to Jalen Rager. The other one was the pick. Notice they don't have Stephon Gilmore on Jefferson anymore. Funny how that works out. Second and four. This hawk punt. How the heck is this guy in the league? Bounces at the 15. Of course, it takes a bad bounce for the Colts because their punter's terrible. Let Jefferson get up. That's the the flag. They threw the flag. Well done. Well done. Well done, you cheaters. Go ahead and keep cheating. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, you cheaters. Go ahead and keep cheating. And that's not, and and we were playing that downstairs for Greg Rakestraw, and he said, man, this dude's going to absolutely get fined. He wasn't referencing the officiating crew is cheaters. He was calling the Colts cheaters. It's when they were laying on dudes there at the end of the game. Wouldn't let them get up. When the clock was running. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? And I, I do have a question for you. This is not so much a Connecticut water question of the day, but I could transform that into if you want me to. You dig that? Or do you like the more dialed-down approach? Because people say, this guy is such a homer, and there's no no doubt about that. But he, he says basically whatever he wants, and they went after Jalen Rager like crazy. And Jalen Rager is a Vikings wide receiver. I think the quote was, get him off the field. <laughs> Cheaters. So that was Paul Allen for the Vikings Radio Network, or the best of, and what we thought was probably going to be really good from Saturday's Jekyll and Hyde game with the Colts up in Minneapolis. All right, 239-1070. Email address is jmv at 1070thefan.com. The show is on Twitter. I can see myself right now on Twitter uh, at jmv1070 inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Good to see you guys. Um, Tyrese Halliburton. Pacers play in Boston later on tonight. I hate that matchup. Absolutely hate it. The Pacers have a tough stretch here. I think you go Boston, Miami, New Orleans is in the mix here, and then Atlanta. 
So this is going to be a tough stretch, which has basically already been a tough stretch with the way that they have not been able to close out games, and especially the last two, against Cleveland and against the Knicks. But they get the Celtics coming up later on tonight, and I I brought this up yesterday. Do you have both? Do you have what Wally Zerbiak said? Get Zerbiak's from Sunday, if you will, because we have a response from Tyrese Halliburton, and as you will notice, what Tyrese Halliburton says in his response is basically what I talked about yesterday, that being. And what happens is you have a guy in Zerbiak that is, you know, obviously, you know, pumping his fist for the Knicks and their television network or whatever, being a, a Knicks guy and working for the Knicks and working for CBS, collegiately speaking, but a guy that probably normally doesn't go after somebody and looked and sounded very uncomfortable in going after somebody. And remember, this is, for a lot of people out there, a going-after-somebody world. Most of you want your daily listen to turn into a variation of the Jerry Springer show. I don't dig it. Some of you do. I don't know why. But some of you want to hear your daily listen or your daily viewing to turn into some episode of Jerry Springer where somebody has to talk to the hand or somebody's not knocked up or something else. Yeah, the Zerbiak ready? Here's first the Zerbiak after the Knicks beat the Pacers on Sunday evening. Mr. Supposed wannabe fake all-star with the big miss. There, and then the rebound by Randall, and then Randall iced the game with all the free throws. Last chance down three for the wannabe all-star. Let me keep it that way. He's in his second year. He's a very good player. He's not going to make the all-star team. A guy like Julius Randall or Jalen Brunson will make it over Tyrese Halliburton. Third year. Tonight we saw why. Yeah. Oh, it's his third year? Third year, yeah. Yes, you're right. Okay. All, right. all right, so nobody understood why he said that. Because nobody had ever heard Tyrese Halliburton say anything. He's not beat a drum. Uh, he has not tried to promote himself as, I deserve to be on the All-Star team. Not one word about it. Tyrese Halliburton goes about his business. He's had a very good year so far, but he goes about his business. And not one time has anybody heard him say anything about wanting to be an All-Star. So we're kind of wondering where this whole rub might have come from. And again, my thought yesterday was this is a guy that is working for the Knicks television network, and he is trying to go a little bit Jerry Springer show rabble-rousing where he clearly is a buttoned-up dude and incredibly uncomfortable in doing it. And that's exactly the way that it sounded on Sunday. But Tyrese Halliburton was on, and I don't know what this podcast is, Kyle. Can you name it? And we'll have to find the name a little bit later on. So it's with uh, Taylor Rooks on Bleacher Report, all right. I don't know if it's a podcast or some a show podcast on Bleacher Report, Tyrese Halliburton with what he believes is the reason behind what Wally Zerbiak said about him. What did you do to Wally Zerbiak? I, I have no clue. I know the name Wally Zerbiak. I couldn't tell you where he played. I couldn't tell you what he did as a basketball player. I don't know. He had a lot to say about me. I, I was really like questioning like. First, who is this, and uh, why is he talking about me like this? Yeah, so to set the stage, he did, he called you, what, a wannabe all-star? I don't know if I ever came out and said, like, I want to be an all-star this year. Please vote for me. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I've done that. Yeah, I don't know. I think he was just excited about a Knicks win, um, yeah. and that got him going, but he's just doing whatever he can to get attention, and 
uh, that's just that's just the media these days. That is Tyrese Halliburton right there from the Bleacher Report podcast, and that's exactly right. That is when somebody knows that they're in this era of shaking their fist and name-calling and all that level of jackassery and clearly feels very uncomfortable in doing it, which means there was no reason behind it. It could have been anybody. At the end of that game, it wasn't Halliburton that turned the ball over. At the end of that game, it was Buddy Heald. Now, I will tell you this, Jim. Jim McCann from Southern California sent me what Matt Barnes had to say. We would have to go back through and really clean up what Matt Barnes had to say. I thought I would go ahead and give you the Tyrese Halliburton, and I thought that that was exactly what we talked about yesterday. Have no idea why this guy would say that. He's a guy that has not promoted himself as being an all-star. It was just a guy that felt the need for that moment to go along with a lot of other television, radio, podcast, internet, YouTube broadcasters, and go the, the jackass role. And was very uncomfortable in doing it. Pacers and Celtics coming up later on tonight. Kristen Airy is going to join us coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Jeff Smolian of Emmis. Of course, we're no longer Emmis here. We are uh, Urban One. And uh, proud of it. Love being a part of it. Have had a fantastic couple of months under the umbrella and a part of the organization. But Jeff Smolian has a book. Jeff Smolian... And I will always have a great deal of deeply rooted love for Jeff because Jeff Smolian started what I'm doing right now. Jeff Smolian started the genre of sports talk radio. Jeff Smolian is the reason that I have a gig and I've had a gig and been doing this for the better part of 18 years. He is the reason why. And I will always give massive love to Jeff. And Jeff also brought me over here. Jeff and Charlie Morgan and Bob Richards, uh, they brought me over here. So I have a great deal of love for Jeff. Uh, Jeff has a book that is out about what he did with Sports Talk Radio, what he has done in radio, what he has done in communications. And if you remember, once upon a time in the late 80s, early 90s, he was an owner of the Seattle Mariners baseball team. So we'll dive into that and more and that book with Jeff Smolian coming up today in studio at 4.30. Kevin Bowen's going to be here also in the 5 o'clock hour. Zach Brown Band tickets we have for you. Yacht Rock Review. Yacht Rock Review is coming at you on New Year's Eve. Those tickets are available both when you hear Zach Brown Band songs as a reentry or maybe a uh, smooth Yacht Rock worthy type of tune. Yacht Rock review tickets are going to be up to grabs for you. Meantime, Nick Foles is the starter on Monday night. We'll dive into a little bit more of the why, why you think, and if you believe you haven't seen enough of Sam Ellinger. 239-1070. Email the address, jmv at 1075thefan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, I'm waving at everybody there. The stream, the app, HD Radio, and 93.5 and 1075 The Fan. Back with you on the phones next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. This will be the high point of my day. 
It's all downhill from here. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Denary, top of the hour. Jeff Smolian's in studio coming up at about 4.30 today. His book's called Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down. The ups and downs and reinvention of an entrepreneur. When's the last time you rode a roller coaster, by the way, Kyle? It's been a while for me. It's been yeah, years. Yeah. We used to go every year to Kings Island. We'd do that bus ride over there, US 50. Everybody bring their bottle and kind of hide it, and then everybody be sick by the time you pulled into the parking lot. Over at uh, Kings Island, be barfing out those windows of the bus. Remember, you'd always have the, um, you'd always have chaperones, but the chaperone would always be the mother or the father where you always had the parties, where they would allow you to have the parties. And I kind of take a blind eye on what you guys were doing. So that was always good. I think, uh, what was it called? The Cobra? That was where you stood up, and then you went upside down. The Beast? Was Batman over there once, too? I've never been to Vortex. Kings Island, actually. Vortex is one back in the day. Kings Island or Cedar Point? Which one's better? I've never been to Cedar Point. I don't know. That's way too close to Michigan for me. Uh, the Cedar Point's got, they got ashtrays on the roller coaster rides, don't they? Fife loved to hear me bag on Michigan, though. He loved that yesterday. Dane Fife was on the show. Just bagged on Michigan, bagged on Michigan high school basketball and everything. He loves that, though. We endear ourselves to him whenever he comes on. Podcast, by the way, if you missed it, IU a winner last night over Elon, as anybody would expect. And it was uh, back load management for Trace Jackson Davis. And he sat that one out against Elon last night. 239-1070 is the number. We'll start out with Jenny today. Hello, Jenny. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm great, Jenny. Go ahead. Okay, so here's my theory on Sam Ellinger. Okay. He was drafted in the sixth round at 208. Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round at 199. Why don't we give this kid a chance? My assumption is, and this is why I feel this way, I think I've seen enough. I think they certainly have seen enough, and that is why. But I also will tell you this, Jenny, I don't think it's out of the realm not to see him again this year. I think this is going to be kind of the last three games. All right, let's pull this quarterback out of the hat type of deal here. Well, yeah, it can't hurt at this point. <laughs> but I just, I, to, to me, and I might be wrong about it, but I think we've seen it, and I think that they really have seen it. I think, to me, if they did not believe in what they know in Sam Ellinger, you would be seeing him. You would see him prominently okay. right now. Uh, I don't think we've seen enough. Jenny, what else do you have? Oh, my gosh. Real quick. Yes. Since you're talking about Kings Island. Yes. And, and the, the cool chaperone. My dad was the cool chaperone oh, yeah. um, in 1985 when we marched in the Indianapolis 500 parade from Columbus East High School in Columbus, Indiana. And um, the seniors, a lot of them were already 18 and stuff. So they convinced my dad, the guys, to go buy them beer. Oh, yeah. The cool. Was, yeah, he was the cool dad. The cool family member. Well, uh, it was Kathy Harper at ours, and that was the uh, the late great mother of Andy Harper, where we had all our parties growing up in high school. All the debauchery took place there, and uh, she was the chaperone. And honestly, as I look back on it, it was one of the greatest times of my entire life. Yeah, I wouldn't take any of those uh, party times down back 
for nothing. The roller coaster that we, we rode on this bus going on US 50 from Eastern through Bedford all the way to Ohio was uh, much, much better on the stomach than what we ended up doing with the beast and that. it was We were already ready for a roller coaster by the time we got to Can- or Kings Island over there because oh, that road well, is ridiculous. I made my own roller coaster on the way back from Kings Island. My sister <laughs> went to Mount St. Joe and I came back real late sober and what is known as the Hartsville Curves, where Landon Turner had his car wreck, yep. um, there was loose gravel, and I overcorrected and flipped the car, and I'm lucky to still be here. That is, uh, that is bad news. The other thing I always remember, too, Jenny, I remember stopping in Seymour at the Hen House right there. Our bus drivers always had a cup of coffee at the Hen House every time. <laughs> the Those are the greatest days. Hey, will you be at Bullseye Monday night? I will be at Bullseye Monday night. I'll any, see you there. Do you have any tickets? Do you have any tickets to give away? Um, you want me to ask Kinette, and if I do, I'll give some away a little bit later on here. Okay, I'll call back. You got it, Jenny. Thank you very much. I'll ask Kyle Kinette. I'm not sure. Hey, Kinette, if you're out there listening right now, give me a text. You want me to give away some Bullseye passes? Because I've got today and tomorrow, and the snowpocalypse comes along here. Uh, Marcellus, jump on here at 239-1070. How are you? What's up, buddy? How you doing? Happy holidays. You ready for me to get back on Saturday night? Man, I'm ready, man. I'm ready for some joy. <laughs> and pain, sunshine, and rain. I'll have to play a little Rob Bass and Easy Rock for you with that, yeah. I know I know that's right, man. Hey, look, uh, um, I was listening to your the the analytics guy you have on yes. TV, the P- PTSD guy whatever, whatever the big nerd is what we call him here yes <laughs> hey man I'm just I'm just screaming at the radio I said are you kidding me when he said when you asked him about what 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 was the what was it the offense yeah he said no it was the defensive pass I said are you serious I said look man look. ah man it sounds like look it's, it's to me that it's like the Jake. When you when you when you go by the numbers, yeah, the numbers say the pass rush kind of fell off. But you know what? There's some reasons why the pass rush fell off, Jay. It's like this: when your defense gave you pretty much the whole all the points you had, yes, much, almost sixty percent. They gave you all those points, right? The offense put in over a couple of touchdowns, maybe, and the rest were just field goals. And in the second half, when your offense it goes three and out, three and out. Three and out. Yep. Three and out. Three and out. And then turnover, turnover, three and out. And then the defense is maybe the guys have just gotten the one cup of Gatorade and they got to put their helmets back on. And they like, what's going on out here? They are not getting any help. And, and now it's the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And guess what? You're more tired, right? Yeah. These guys are gassed. Our defense, I've had no problem with this defense. And anything they've been, they've had, they've given up. It's because they're not getting any help on the other side of that football. And the dude under center. And I, maybe that's the biggest reason as to why they make a quarterback change. Because he can't do anything. Nothing, Nothing man. He can't. He just can't. And I was kind of disappointed when Jeff came back, when Jeff came in and, and said, okay, Matt's coming back. I thought they would at least try Nick Foles then. You know, who knows, Nick, this is kind of what Nick has always done his whole life, his whole career. He's come in and been that guy who takes you on the magic carpet ride, man. And maybe he might win your Super Bowl. You never know. But we didn't even try. And it's like we went back to the same thing. It's too little, too late now. I don't think we're going to get any help. 
They say mathematically we steal. <laughs> Being the AFC yeah. South, yeah. the gift that keeps on giving. Well, you know, it's funny about that. I think that Jim really – Jim screwed this up when he forced Ellinger on this team. Yeah, not, not, yeah. not, not just, you know, the organizational, but the teammates who, from what you hear – we're not outspoken unhappy about it, but there was not a great deal of cohesion with that decision yeah. that was made. So that's that's where it started. And, I mean, who knows? And that's what makes it even worse is because the Titans have backpedaled and floundered so much here in this month of yeah. December that it brought basically everybody back in play. And you can't win yeah. this division when the Titans are playing like this in this particular year, you kind of just put your hands up. It's a clown show. It really is. Yeah, man. Look, look, and look who's quietly sneaking up the AFC South ladder, the Jags. Got themselves a real coach and not some clown, you know? So, yeah, right, gotta, this right, is what happens. Right. So. All right, my friend, uh, a week from Saturday, we'll be back in rip-roaring ready to go. All right, have a Merry Christmas, my man. You too, Marcellus. Happy holidays to you. Uh, John, before the break at 239-1070. John, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Agree or disagree? Matt Ryan had more time to throw against the Vikings than he's had all year long. Yeah, and he couldn't. I, I actually sent out a video, I think it was in the third quarter, John, where he threw, he was trying to throw um, a ball about 20 yards down the field to Michael Pittman Jr., it went straight up in the air and came down. It was like somebody took out a gun and shot it. <laughs> it was so, so bad, so weak. So he goes he goes downfield once or twice. So yeah. here's the reason why Foles is starting. The Colts want to find out if their receiving core is as bad as they looked against the Vikings. And they need somebody who can at least get the ball down the field to find out if they can separate. Because they haven't shown any of that in weeks. Well, the, the getting the ball down the field is I I one hundred percent agree with you on the getting the ball down the field thought. I mean, he had some time to throw, and the Vikings pass rush isn't much. But earlier this year, do you remember Reggie Wayne talking about Mike Strawn being the next Megatron? Yeah. I mean, that dude hadn't seen the field. Uh-uh. What's going on? Nothing. Nothing. I'm assuming, well, he, he was in concussion protocol, I believe. Last, was it last week, Kyle? When was he in concussion protocol? That had, that had, I thought that that was recently. But anyway, he is somebody that healthy now that you need to take a long, hard look at in these final three. Absolutely. This weekend. This weekend, if he's healthy. So, but yeah, no, you're right about so. Foles being able to get the, the ball down the field, whereas, uh, yeah, no doubt Matt Ryan cannot do that. John, thank you for the call. Have a great holiday. You're right back at you, too. Merry Christmas. Jeff Rabjohns has this. Senior point guard Xavier Johnson foot surgery. IU quoted as saying, hopeful he will return before the end of the season. Now, there was a video last night from somebody that covers IU. I think it's somebody from the IDS down in Bloomington that caught a video of somebody asking Xavier Johnson during shoot-around uh, from the stands if he was going to be back, and he said, yes, he would be back. Now, certainly he would want to be back, but there was no timetable. But I use hopeful he will return before the end of the season. Xavier Johnson with foot surgery. Chris Denary is going to join us coming up at the top of the hour. What is going to be an interesting conversation with a guy – 
that is the entirety of the reason that I am here, good or bad for you, but he's the reason why I'm here. He gave me this career in more ways than one, gave a lot of people this particular career path in Sports Talk Radio. Jeff Smolian joins us, bottom of the hour. Kevin Bowen in the 5 o'clock hour. Zach Brown Band tickets, Yacht Rock Review tickets for New Year's Eve. Tomorrow's show is a Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots. Thursday, me and betting analyst Brett Halverson at the legendary Slippery Noodle would love to see you as well coming up. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. This situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You truck to pull it. Uh, R.I.P. to Franco Harris of the 1972 Immaculate Reception with the Raiders and the Steelers. Franco Harris was 72. The one thing that I remember... This was long before the Colts got here. And of the dynasty the Steelers and Chuck Knoll put in place in the 1970s, outside of the Dallas Cowboys here, and that even factors in the Bears, the Bengals, and at that time, if you remember the St. Louis Cardinals, they were in St. Louis. But outside of the Cowboys around here, there was no more popular team in the NFL, again here locally, than the Steelers. No more popular team. And it was tough back then other than go to Sears and get some great gear for the kids to get NFL gear. But that was what was most prominent outside of the Cowboys. But Franco Harris was hugely significant. Pro Football Hall of Famer, a part of that Steelers dynasty. You know, again, part of the biggest part of the uh, most talked about play in the history of the NFL back in 1972, and Franco Harris was 72 years old. R.I.P. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. He is the voice of the Pacers, Bally Sports, Indiana, later on tonight in Boston. With the matchup, the Pacers and the Celtics, Chris Denary joins us. I'm assuming that you look at the recent games for the Celtics, and this is a very talented team, an incredibly prideful team, that's probably a little bit salty right now, correct? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, they lost back-to-back games uh, here to Orlando. They've lost three straight at home. Uh, they've lost four or five overall. And offensively, uh, they're the best team in the NBA, scoring-wise, 118 points per game. But over this five-game stretch, John, they're about 104, which is uh, down near the bottom. So, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the Pacers just played a Knicks team that is as hot as anybody in the NBA. They won again last night, uh, what, they've won eight or nine straight. Um, And and tonight you've got a team that's been atop the East for much of the year. They're now – they got passed uh, with their recent loss. They're a half game behind Milwaukee. But 
Yeah, you would think they would be a little salty, uh, especially the way they uh, got swept by Orlando. Yeah, I would say the same thing, too. Uh, it is a talented team, though, across the board. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. They, they just provide some matchups that are not just worrisome for any team out there, but, you know, talking about the Pacers, some tough matchups coming up later on tonight. Oh, there's no question about that. I, you know, as I look at my chart, you know, the, the Pacers are young and, and they've done a lot of good things this year, but you're playing a lot of rookies and second year and third year guys. You look at Jason Tatum in his sixth year, Jalen Brown in his seventh year, Derek White, sixth year, uh, Malcolm Brogdon's uh, playing really well for them off the bench in his seventh year, Smart in his ninth year, uh, Al Horford in his 16th year. I mean, th- this is a team built to win a championship right now. They, they nearly did it last year. Uh, getting to the NBA Finals against Golden State. So it's a veteran team. You know, you're going to hit some bumps in the road during an 82-game schedule. There's no question about that. I mean, it's 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 going to happen, and it's happened right now for the Celtics because, you know, before that, John, they had won 17 of 19, including a nine-game win streak. So, uh, you know, hopefully they're still a little bit down, and, and that helps the Pacers tonight. But you know, really, if you if, what's frustrating is if you look at the last few games, the Pacers played very well in Cleveland for the better part of three quarters, and I thought did a nice job against New York. And in both those instances, they had late leads and just were not able to hold on to them. So, uh, you know, if they can come out and play the way they've played for the better part of the last few games, you'll you'll feel good if they can get that position down down the stretch. Hey, Chris, I said this yesterday. I thought that you could make an argument that against a really good team, Friday night in Cleveland, up until the end of the fourth quarter, was as good as an effort and a level of play as we've seen out of this Pacer team. But I'm I'm curious, uh, the three-pronged reason that can lead you to a late-game collapse or not closing would be obviously turnovers, um, you know, defending, um, the other team, you know, how much they scored down the stretch, and then yourself finding some offense. And that here recently, late in the fourth, has been a struggle for this basketball team. Yeah, last two games they've scored just 39 total points. That's 19.5 points per game, and they're the number one fourth-quarter team in the league at nearly 30 points per game. And, and part of that, you know, that they've played better better teams here in the last couple of games. I mean, Cleveland's third in the East, and New York's on the rise of the East. So, um, yeah, th- those things can happen. And I-, I think, you know, one of the things in Cleveland, I-, I thought through the better part of three quarters, did a really good job of moving the ball. Um, I- you know, how much of it was Cleveland's defense got amped up? How much of it was, you know, the Pacers settled for th- some things that ordinarily they wouldn't do that? Probably a combination of both. Uh, but as as Rick Carlisle has said with this team, what they've experienced probably in the last couple of weeks against some high-caliber opponents has been more like playoff basketball. And that's when he looks at his roster, very few of these guys have had any type of playoff experience. Probably the only one, you know, from a a standpoint is Miles Turner. I mean, Halliburton Heald have not played in the playoffs. Jalen Smith is young. Uh, Isaiah Jackson. All these guys are young. So what they've had to experience in late-game situations now against Miami, against Cleveland, against New York. Uh, I thought they handled it well against Golden State. And, and John, really, there was a stretch there uh, at home against pretty good teams in New Orleans and Miami and Toronto that they did a good job of, of holding on to leads in the fourth. But, um, you know, they, they've just got to look at, at how they do things, what the rotations are, and, 
and try to do a better job than what we've seen in the last couple. Yeah, he's uh, Chris Denary, the voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports, Indiana, coming at you later on tonight at 7 o'clock. The Pacers on the road in Boston. Yeah, that, that has been an issue. And you look back at that Knicks game, they had some opportunities. I mean, Buddy Heald had a, a tough turnover there in that second-to-last possession. Miles in the fourth missed four free throws, which is uh, incredibly uncommon for him as he's a good free-throw shooter. And they, you know, they just struggled with makes. They struggle with makes. And it just seemed like when they needed to stop late, they were just unable to do it. And, you know, you had Randall at the free-throw line every single minute, too. Yeah, I mean, you did not expect Julius Randle to make seven straight free throws in the fourth quarter. But I thought, you know, two minutes to play, they got the the, the play with uh, Neesmith at the basket for a wide-open dunk. You're up six with uh, under two to play. The next possession, there was a miscommunication on should we switch, should we stay, and they left Jalen Brunson right in front of our broadcast position. He hits the three. Okay, now it's a three-point game. Problem is you then came down the floor immediately and turned it over and Brunson laid it in. So in a matter of seconds, your lead went from six to one, and that's a huge difference. And I thought that put a lot of pressure on the Pacers on those possessions. Uh, They missed shots. They had the turnovers. As you said, Miles free throws uh, did not help. It was just a thing that really compounded it. But I really look at that play where Brunson hits the three uh, that that changed the game. I think it was Nemhard and Neesmith got confused because, yeah. you know, a lot of times in late-game situations, they're switching. Sometimes they're not switching. I'm not sure what they were supposed to do there. The problem was they left Brunson wide open. Well, I mean, you, that's the first – the cover of the guy with the ball, that's the good shooter. Yeah. That's, that's where – I mean, when all else fails, that's exactly – what you do and I, I i remember you mentioning that to quinn as well and that was a huge turning point there's no doubt about it and you brought up the fact that we know this and rick made a point of saying this before they went out west for seven games is that it's going to get much tougher you know teams are going to see this record and go hey you know this is not you know the type of game that we thought when we first saw this schedule when it came out it was going to be against the pacers but i also will say this that advanced scout catches up incredibly quick with you in the NBA, doesn't it? Oh, there's no question. And and from a personnel standpoint, I mean, I, I had a nice conversation with Benedict Mather and after the game the other night with a, a lot of season ticket holders, and I asked him, you know, what adjustments have you had to make now as the season's progressed? Because now people know who you are. You're on the scouting report. You're the Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month for October and November, and that's true. And that's where you have to work with the coaches. You've got to uh, diversify your game. You've got to do some things a little bit different because all of a sudden they're game planning for you. And to your point, John, I think that's that's factual. Is I, I'm sure many of these teams, you know, they read the press clippings, they read, they go on the internet and they look at a Pacers team that was expected to win, you know, 20, 20 to twenty five to you know twenty eight games on the year, and all of a sudden at one point they're well over five hundred and they're fourth of the East, and so all of a sudden you get their attention, and that's something that the, this group has to deal with as well. To me, in watching it, too, and Chris Denary joins us, it seems like that they have, outside of Buddy Heald, and this does include Halliburton, they have defensively, it seems like that they're marked as a group that, all right, we have to make them prove it. If they knock down a shot or two, then you go out and you, you know, you really you know defend against it. But it, it's almost like it's kind of a, a prove it 
and then we'll do it type of mentality that a lot of these guys have against the Pacers offensively uh, outside of Buddy Heald, I think, in the shot-making category. You agree? Yeah, and I think the one thing, I mean, if you look at the, the last six games, offensively the Pacers have been good enough in, in totality. I think for the last six, they're shooting better than 50% from the field. One of the games is the outlier, the Miami game, where they had their worst night of the year. I think they were at 35%. But for the most, poor, uh, for the most part of late, uh, offensively, has not been a problem. Now, you can look at those fourth quarters against Cleveland and New York when things get shut down a little bit. So, But you're right. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Buddy, I think Buddy's been terrific this year. I mean, uh, he's hit some big shots. Uh, he hit some big ones the other night uh, when that lead was dwindling a little bit and they were able to get it back to six in the final two minutes. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a learning process. Uh, I think we all knew that. Uh, we knew there would be highs and lows. Uh, you get a little ge- uh, greedy, you know, as this team jumped out to, uh, you know, a nice record. Uh, they were ahead of schedule. And sometimes that'll catch up to you just because the schedule gets a little tougher. And, you know, if you look at, at this schedule now, they just, you know, came off Cleveland and New York, who are two top teams in the East. You've got Boston tonight, who's number two. You have to go to Miami on on friday then you have to go the day after christmas to new orleans and they're right near the top of the west come back with atlanta cleveland and the clippers so yeah the the schedule uh there are a lot of good teams on uh in this league and on this schedule and you've got to deal with it on a game-by-game basis so chris and Neri's on the andy moore automotive group hotline too and you know, you go back to the miami game and you know, the Pacers just kind of fell into that web of exactly how Miami wants you to play when you're playing them. I mean, that's where they felt comfortable, and you could tell, and the Pacers were incredibly uncomfortable offensively playing at that low output level. Yeah, Jimmy Butler, I mean, there's a reason why so many teams, you know, have wanted him. Just to, he, he makes plays especially in games that aren't very, very pretty. And that one clearly wasn't pretty. It was a 87-82 slugfest. It reminded me of a game in the early 2000s. I thought the Pistons might have been playing, you know, the way uh, the way they played as in those low-scoring games. But, yeah, I mean, I thought back to that game, John, it was two guys that have played at a high level in the playoffs that helped them win that game, and that was Lowry and Butler. You know, they've been there. They've done that. And the Pacers are still learning as a group how to do that. Um, Again, if you go back a few weeks, I thought they had some really good success in about a four- or five-game stretch where they won those close games. Now they're in a stretch where they're losing those close games. So uh, we'll see how they learn from that and how they push forward going forward. Did you hear the Wally Zerbiak post-game comments? Yeah, I I don't understand. Uh, He you know, what what you're trying to say, why you're trying to say that. I mean, I've always felt this, John, is that I have great respect for everybody across the league and all these teams. And do I want some teams to lose? Sure. But, um, you know, it's all about the brand. And I just thought he really stepped over the line uh, in, in what he said. I, I, you know, I was disappointed that, you know, he would say something like that because, you know, Tyrese has been uh, a, a terrific player in his three years in the NBA. I think he represents the league very well. And, 
my opinion is, you know, for somebody to say that about him, I, I you know, I just uh, hard pressed to know why. You know, it's funny. I played back something a little bit earlier where Halliburton was asked that and then gave his answer as to what he thought, because, you know, obviously he had not promoted himself as an all star or anything like that. And I, I had said yesterday, uh, after I first heard it, I said it just sounded like Zerbia sounded like a dude in this era of media where you you feel compelled that you have to be so stinking over the top outspoken, and you're sure as hell not comfortable with it, and that's the outcome. You completely look like a jackass, and that's exactly yeah. what it was. And and then yeah. at the end of what Halliburton said, I don't know if it was yesterday. I'm assuming it was yesterday. Um, in his answer, he said, "You know, that's just kind of where where media is." And I would argue that's where a lot of media is, and that's where some want to go, but that's not where it all is, certainly. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't. No, not everybody's like that. I just I don't think you just have to have a take to have a take, and you throw something out there, and you you. You want recognition, you know, for something to stick on the wall. That that's just something that, you know, from my standpoint, I don't even pay attention to stuff like that. It it really doesn't impact what I'm trying to do as a play-by-play broadcaster. So, but I, I was disappointed. I mean, uh, just you know, for him to say something like that, and 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 he and he did it a couple times, right? He said something, and then he came back to it. Um, yeah, disappointing. All right, you guys at the air coming up at 7 o'clock tonight, correct, from Boston? You're going to get a yeah. conversation, quick conversation in with Brad? Yeah, 7 o'clock. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll see Brad uh, just to, to wish him best of luck, wish him a happy holiday. And uh, Eddie Gill is here, so uh, Eddie will be on the radio with Mark tonight, and he'll uh, have pregame and postgame uh, with J.J. tonight on Valley Sports. And then uh, we fly to Miami tomorrow. And hopefully we'll get in after the game on Friday. It's an 8 o'clock game in Miami, and then we'll be flying back. Uh, we, we fly Christmas night to go to New Orleans. But, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what this weather is like. But uh, we uh, everybody is adamant about getting home for Christmas. So you know, hopefully the Pacers can get a couple of wins, uh, go home for a day or so, enjoy enjoy ourselves and then back out on the road uh, in New Orleans on Monday. You might know this and maybe you don't, but I was watching some of that uh, G League showcase the other day. I don't know how much of that you watch, but in watching Maine, the Maine Celtics, Alex Barlow was coaching him up and I was kind of curious at the time how quickly he might be moving up the ranks in the NBA with that gig with Maine. Well, it's interesting. You look at sort of that coaching tree tied to Butler with with Brad Stevens. Cameron Woods, uh, who played at Butler with OKC, with the OKC Blue. Of course, uh, we have Ron Norad as an assistant coach with the Pacers. So it's really interesting to see these guys uh, as they make the leap into the NBA and, and just what is on the horizon. So you know, I, I think I think the world of Ronald Norris. I think he's done a, a heck of a job for Rick Carlisle and that staff. And I think all of us know that at some point, uh, as we move along, Ron's going to be a head coach in this league. And uh, I, I know we're all grateful to have him on the Pacers staff right I, now. I tell you what, though, on the other side too, tonight with Boston, they have their their kind of own collegiate coaching tree example. So that's pretty cool too. Oh yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, with what they went through when Amey Udoka, uh, you know, they they basically you know asked him to step aside. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see. It's it's you know I, I'm happy for from a uh, just an NBA standpoint, Boston, who was so good last year, and you know Gallinari gets hurt, tears his ACL. 
I mean, they've they really faced some things in the preseason and have done a nice job to have one of the best records in the NBA. So it'll be a real challenge for the Pacers tonight, but I know they're ready for it. Uh, they feel like, you know, they've, they've let a few games slip away here, especially at home. Uh, so this will be a big one tonight and, and see how the Pacers can respond. All right, buddy. We'll be watching you coming up at 7 p. That is the pregame show, Bally Sports Indiana, the voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary with the Pacers and the Celtics coming at you later on this evening. Safe travels, however you guys uh, decide to handle that with the uh, weather uh, in and around the Midwest and the East Coast. And we'll talk again very soon. Be careful. Have a great broadcast. Hey, I will. And uh, if I don't uh, talk to the the great fans that are listening, uh, Merry Christmas, uh, have a happy holidays, and hope to see people at Gamebridge Fieldhouse uh, next week. It's going to be fun, John. Home on the 27th, the 29th, and the 31st. Oh, yeah. Heading into the new year. So it's going to be a lot of fun. That means when you're coming out, you can turn me on on the JMV Takeover wherever you're going. I mean, that's a big night right there, the 31st, buddy. Big hey, time. Hey, and I just got to tell you, if you are at the 31st game, which is an afternoon game, uh, one Archer Denary, one-year-old, nice. will be making his debut in the Baby Crawl Contest <laughs> at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. So uh, I know I know my grandson is already out there practicing. I told I told my son and daughter-in-law, okay, he can't walk yet. We, we need to let him crawl. So we'll 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 see how Archer Denary does here in a week. That's awesome uh, at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Fantastic! Happy holidays, Merry Christmas to you and the fam and and everybody on the broadcast. We'll do it again soon. All right, thanks, John. It's uh, Chris Denary on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The baby crawl. Not far in advance, you have to have notice to be a part of the baby crawl, right there. Parker's in here observing. Cal Unimark is in here running the show. My name is John. Thank you for joining us. Kevin Bowen coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. So it is Nick Foles. He will start for the Colts on Monday night against the Chargers. We can get the feel for you, the fans out there. I had said at the beginning of it, it just doesn't matter, which it just doesn't matter. But there may be something a little more deeply rooted from a Colts standpoint as to why they want to see Foles Maybe it's more than what I'm saying there. Anybody out there like Jenny a little bit earlier feel that Sam Ellinger is being shortchanged? Now, I will tell you, you may very well see him in one of these final three games. Anybody out there feel that Ellinger is being shortchanged? Don't want to see Foles? Think this is just a bad decision overall? Hey, they've courted the market on bad decisions. Don't get me wrong. I just don't happen to think this is one of them. Back to your calls on the other side. And Jeff Smolian of Emmis. Jeff has a book, and the book is called Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down. The ups, downs, and the reinvention of an entrepreneur. Specifically, he started this genre called sports talk in the late 80s at the fan in New York. A lover of radio, and I have a deeply rooted love for him for giving me a career. Jeff Smolian in studio about that. Once upon a time, he owned the Seattle Mariners. Got that and more coming up in your phone calls at 239-1070. Zach Brown band tickets for their show at Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center in August. Yacht Rock Review coming at you on New Year's Eve at the Murat Old National Center. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Bullish friends hanging and banging with you until the 8 o'clock hour. Coming up, we have artists such as Living Color and the Fine Young Cannibals right now. Here's Roxette, The Look, 89.9 WROL. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back. Pacers Celtics coming up later on tonight. Uh, Chris Denary just joined us. Podcast 107.5. TheFan.com. Our Larcity Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots coming at you. That is tomorrow. Me and our betting analyst, Brent Halverson, at the legendary Slippery Noodle. That is tomorrow beginning at 3. So, yeah, come out and hang out with us, and then we'll get you out of there just in time to get home before the uh, inclement weather makes an appearance here in central Indiana. But joining us in studio right now, and I could not be more thankful for this human being than I am. His book is called Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups and Downs and the Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. Jeff Smolian of Emmis is in studio with me again I cannot thank you enough for what you have provided me over the years and then going all the way back to the late 1980s, the genre that I am have been able to have a career as a part of. That is all thanks to you, and I could not be more appreciative. Jay, uh, it, you, uh, you, it is well-deserved. You've done great work. I am proud of you. Um, and... Uh, this is i'm just thrilled for your career really am i love it and it, it continues to move forward and we're you know doing a lot of things and, and having a lot of fun you you allow me to do what has much like you jeff fascinated me since an early age yeah and that is yeah. that is radio and the best part is that when i see you in the elevator i find out what's really going on <laughs> exactly. with the colts and pacers i could i can find out the uh, real story that is that is you can't talk about on the air. that is all some of that stuff we just <laughs> save for the elevator here there's there's no doubt about that all right uh, so what was the motivation with the book here jeff well the motivation of the infamous my daughter who i'm now trying to get home i, I just heard trip. that yes yep uh, stuck in an airport um I would drive her to school every day from the time she was in kindergarten until she fired me when she got her driver's license. (laughs) And we just talk about life. And it was my favorite 30 minutes a day. And we just talk about lessons I've learned and stories. And one day she said, Dad, nobody would ever believe these stories. You got to write a book. And then COVID came about and I was bored and things were slow. And I started writing. And the next thing I knew, I had 300 pages. And I sent it off to a couple friends. And they said, you got a book here. So I got a wonderful editor who tightened stuff up and said, sure. this is extraneous or add to this. And then we got an agent and we got a publisher and the book came out uh, in the last 10 days. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Jeff Spolian's in studio with us. We'll get to the title of the book and how you can get that coming up in a minute. Uh, is radio still the most interesting aspect of, of all those pages and all your experiences in this book? Yeah, radio was always my first love, Jay. I, Me too. I, I listen to it. I'm of a generation. I think my socks are older than you, so I'm a lot older. Um, <laughs> but um, I would I was one of the generation of the kids who would listen to a transistor radio <laughs> under their pillow at night, listen to ball games and top 40 radio. Right. Um, and I always loved it. Always knew what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always say I'm an entrepreneur because I'm not hireable in a free society. Um, nobody would really hire me, but, uh, I always wanted to do this and started the company 40 some years ago and, uh, and loved it. Radio was always the most fun, the most creative. 
Um, it got to be challenging. All of it got to be challenging, and uh, but I always loved it. When um, when did you really see it take off? Because you said you you obviously own stations going back yeah. forty years, but when yeah. did you really see radio muscle up and and you knew that you were in the right business? Well, I knew before that because it, radio was pronounced dead when television came about in the fifties. And then with the invention of Top 40 Radio, it had a renaissance. I, I listened to WIFE here, which every kid did. When I went to Los Angeles and went to USC, I listened to KHJ. Um, and you just saw that it was an integral part of everybody's lives. And when we started, our thesis of the company was that music is probably going to work on FM and it will replace music on AM. And our first station, which was 97.1, which was then WENS, um, became a hit overnight. And then we went to Minneapolis. We had a hit overnight there. And then we had St. Louis and Los Angeles. And it seemed like everything we did, we always said, we'll let the audience tell us what to do. We're not going to tell the audience what we're going to do. And we always found niches. And uh, and it just worked over and over again. Do you have a favorite string of years in well, radio? The, you know, I mean, I always say every year has been good. Um, the 80s is when the company took off. And it was so much fun. And radio meant more to people then because it wasn't such a fragmented world. Yeah, I uh, I always think about this um, because we were now, as you mentioned, in a fragmented world yeah. where there's you know social media and yeah. digital and all that. So many different avenues in which um, people can go to outside of just what we do. How, how do we make this even more special? The spoken word is different yeah. than music. There's yeah. no doubt about that. No so we're, we're fortunate in that category doing what we're doing right here. Yes. But how, how does it maintain? It maintains doing what you do every day. You relate to your audience. When you when you care about your audience and your audience cares about you, that's a viable business. The problem with music is is that and and this is one of my complaints about the industry is the industry started had too much debt. Consolidation led to some massive ridiculous prices, uh, and to pay those things, people got a lot of debt. And when industry growth levels dropped, they said, "Okay, here's what we're going to do: we're going to cut our costs." and we're going to cut people, and we're going to add commercials. And yeah. the problem with that is both of those things drive people away. Um, you know, there are companies that, you know, don't have any people on the air locally. And I think the future of this business has always been local yes. and compelling. Yes, yes. that's yeah. it. And I think that once upon a time, a, a uh, different uh, communication company came up with a strategy called Less is More. Yeah. If you remember that. Well, they, and, they, and, and that and, was beyond lame. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they, they, yeah. And it's just, the problem is, and I live this, we got into TV because we said the radio, average station price of radio station was like 10 times cash sure. flow, 10 times profit for people who, you know. And then in, in three or four years, it went to like 20 times, went to 12 and then 15 and then 20 and then 25. Well, 25 times, you know, cash flow. You, you can never make that work unless the industry goes by 10 or 12% a year, and it was never going to do that. So people had too much debt. Um, and then what do they do? They had to cut costs, and they added commercials, and uh, it just made it a mess. Jeff Smalling's in studio from MS. Never ride a roller coaster upside down. The ups and downs and in reinvention of an entrepreneur is the book we want you to go out and get because it is fantastic. I want you to describe to the listening audience how those around you felt when back in the late 80s you said, I want to start a sports talk radio station when um, there were none. One, one of my favorite stories. I have a, I have two chapters in the book. I have a favorite saying, John, is the, the line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. And I've been on both sides. So one chapter is idiot to genius. 
Um, I had the idea to do all sports radio when I was not paying attention in a class at USC, which was a pretty common occurrence for me. And it was sort of in the back of my mind. And when we bought the Doubleday stations, we had an FM in New York and an FM in Washington. We had an AM. And I was sitting with my friend Steve Crane and what are we going to do with the AM? And I said, well, I've always wanted to do all sports. Um, And we talked about it at a manager's meeting. um, And everybody said, this is an epically stupid idea. Um, And Emma's a very collaborative group. And we voted on it. And it lost. And Steve, I'll never forget Steve Crane, who was my boyhood friend, came with me at Emma's in the very beginning. Walked out of the meeting. He said, what do you want to do? I said, you can't lead where others won't follow. So we're not going to do it. And the next day, Rick Cummings, who, had yeah. been, who was then head of programming. Did he and, vote you down there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, we just have to. Yeah. And come on. He was then head of programming. He was head of programming three minutes ago. I think he still is. <laughs> we've been we've been together since day one. Right. He and Doyle Rose, who was then running the radio group, walked into my office and said, look, we're doing really well and we owe you one. So even though we still think this is a really stupid idea, let's do it. Um. And, I, and they said, we, we don't really want to be involved in it, but we'll hire people who be involved in it, but it's stupid. And it was known uh, for the first year, year and a half, as Smullyan's Folly. Uh, Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War of Emmis. Uh, I, have, I have a dear friend. In- <laughs> he, 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 uh, he went a little bit over the top in describing things often, so yeah, that's surprising, but, yeah. But um, I had my, my dear friend John Dilley, who's from South Bend and Elkhart and was in New York one day, and he said, I used to think you're a really smart guy. Then I heard that thing, and you're really not very smart. Um, but it was not successful, um, and there was a lot of needling. This is a company where everybody teases everybody else. And, you know, at the end of the day, somebody would say, well, it's 5 o'clock. We lost $9,321 at fan today. Nice job. And then we merged it with the NBC stations. We put Don Imus on. We put Mike and the Mad Dog on, um, and it took off. And, and we made it more local New York, which you really need to do. The, the, the future of this business, if you're going to be in sports talk, is you're going to be talking about the Colts. You've got to be talking about the Pacers. Yeah. You, it's, like, it's like radio. You play the hits. And in New York, it was New York sports, and it took off. And then I went from idiot to genius, um, which I was very proud of. And then the next thing we did was bought a Major League Baseball team in Seattle, which allowed me to go from the boy wonder and the genius uh, to after about three years to being an idiot. So I've seen all sides of that. Yeah, uh, Jeff Smalling's in studio talking about his new book. Imus, I think the only thing we really know about Imus yeah. was the level in which he reached, how he was portrayed yeah. in the film by Howard Stern, and yeah. then, you know, yeah. the, the shortcomings, yeah. uh, those moments on radio for him. But how was he, he was to bri- work with? He was brilliant. He was uh, a curmudgeon, which is the word I could use on mm-hmm. the air. I won't use the other word. You sure? Be. I get along very well with Don. I, I will never forget when we were when we were merging with NBC, and it was 19, actually, 87. And he had an agent named Mike Lynn, and Mike and I had known each other because he represented Robert W. Morgan, so I knew him. And we were sitting in his office, and we said, well, let's see, if we put Imus on the air here, let's see what we have. We have a radio station which is losing record amounts of money. We carry the Mets, who now have what appears to be record amounts of drug use. And we have Don Imus, who's been in and out of rehab for the last five years. What could possibly go wrong? Um, but it all came together, yeah. and the darn thing worked. And Don really stayed clean the rest of his life. And uh, he was a brilliant guy. He could be challenging, but he was a brilliant guy. And more challenging that or Mike in the Mad Dog. And how did you hold back from being too micromanaging? And that's one of the things I loved about around. I mean, because yeah. they just let... 
you know, from D. Wood, they just say, yeah. all right, go do your thing. This yeah. is why we hired you. That has always been the culture here. I learned a long time ago. In the very beginning, uh, one of our original investors says, you know, you, you delegate too much. And I said, well, I don't delegate anything. I picked every record. I picked all the equipment. I wrote the TV commercial. I wrote the, I do the sales presentations. In the very beginning, I didn't delegate. I think you cannot grow an enterprise unless you do. Uh, you really have to have good people. There's an old saying the president of our university had, I always loved. He said, the first motion of any board should be to fire the CEO. And if it fails, let that person do their job. And I've always felt that way with my managers. Let them do their job. Don't micromanage them. And if they're not the right person, get another manager. But I can't, I mean, you can imagine the number of times people call me and say, I want you to go talk to to JMB or I want you to talk to Dockage or I want you. And I've said, look, it's not my job. My job is to go through my managers and let them manage. And if they can't manage, I got to get different managers. But you just cannot. The, the hardest part about new managers is saying, I can do my old job better than the person who replaced me. Uh, and that and that's the fraught with disaster. You got time to stay? I said fifty. Can you stay until the top of the hour? I, I could. I think based on my schedule, I'm free. You until, know, I'm free till June. I'm you, be, you know yeah. radio really well, and I need to take a break here. But I want to get in on uh, you as a baseball owner and being a part of a birth of an absolute superstar. Yep. Cool? Coming up here. Jeff Smalley in studio, other side. Never ride a roller coaster upside down. The ups and downs and reinvention of an entrepreneur. Jeff, more with him in studio coming up next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. I am in the parking lot right now, hammering a bacon, egg, and chi, hold the chi, in preparation to go deep with four hits and put on a laser show to the likes of which you have never witnessed in your entire life. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back tomorrow again on the road. A legendary Slippery Noodle, City Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots. Get there. I'd love to see you coming up tomorrow before the holidays. Jeff Smolian in studio. Never ride a roller coaster upside down. The ups and downs and reinvention of an entrepreneur. Uh, of course, Jeff, the head of MS, back in studio with us now. Once upon a time, you bought a major league baseball team, right. the Seattle Mariners, right. back in 1989, yep. I believe correctly. Right. And you, you were a part of a birth of a superstar while yes. in the Pacific Northwest. Talk yeah. a little bit and about that. We actually that. had several superstars. Yeah, you did uh, at the time. Yeah. Edgar we Martinez. Ed- Edgar Martinez. One of my favorite mm-hmm. stories about Edgar Martinez is they said he can't put him in the lineup because he's not a five-tool guy. He can't hit, or he can't He can't run, he can't field, but he was the greatest hitting machine of all time. No doubt. And he played his way in the lineup and then it never came out. But Junior was my favorite part about baseball. Um, he was really... I think the most gifted baseball player ever seen. Um, and every night was just spectacular. That was the one thing I missed about baseball was not being around Junior. And then we put Junior and his dad together, and they were the first and only father and son ever to play together. Um, I've kept very few mementos of my time in baseball, but the lineup card that they signed for me the first night that a father and son ever played is something that's on my mind. I remember watching that. That was such an incredible big deal yep. back then, too. Fun. And I mean, there wasn't a, a great deal 
to write home about about Seattle with baseball prior no, to no, that. There I, just wasn't. I, I learned that. I mean, other than the highlight of Lynn Randall trying to blow that bunt foul, <laughs> you know, in this week in baseball, that was really all the highlights they had. Yeah, um, yeah. We, it, I mean, it was it was it was a fascinating franchise. Um, it was just downtrodden, um, and I joked, you know, we we couldn't afford to do it. Um, uh, you know, I said you, you need to be a billionaire to own the Mariners or teams like that. It, to own the Dodgers and the Yankees, if you have a paper route, you're in pretty good shape. Um, but the economics were just very tough. Um, uh, how long did you own the Mariners? Three years. Three, three years? Three years. And, and you were in Seattle, 89 through 91, in a very, yep. Yep. very important time, too, because you not only were at the helm of the Mariners, but there was a music revolution Absolutely. going on where you were. And I actually lived off of First Street, where a lot of that started. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you got to see that firsthand. First I'm assuming, hand. right, with the, yeah. you know the evolution of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and, I, and, and I, Alice in Chains and that sound. And I love the town. I thought it was a great town. The reason we did it is we were supposed to turn around guys, and the Mariners had never had a winning season. They always had the worst attendance of the league, um, and we were sort of the marketing guys. And I was very proud of the stuff we did. Stuff we did in a ballpark that nobody had ever done then we did crazy movie clips we played you know belushi you know when we were down five runs in the ninth inning was it over when the germans bombed pearl harbor right you guys started that out that's awesome we had the mr ed clip of mr ed the horse running around the bases they did a thing to me one night they had a singles night um and they had the top 10 pickup lines uh overheard at the ballpark and i was single for many years and uh, the line the number one pickup line was hi i'm jeff i own this team uh so they did we just did all sorts of crazy stuff we well had, and i brought this up to you one of our elevator conversations yeah. here is i saw an old clip on youtube yeah. and there was a I, I guess a locally legendary alternative music or grunge music show yeah. that aired weekly in uh, seattle yeah. where they brought on Soundgarden. To yep. talk about you, yeah, I, <laughs> I, they were very kind. I got I, I, well. I would say everybody. I, I get back to this is going from genius to idiot. Yeah. My, my last six months in Seattle, I was I was the boy wonder. You know, I would I would sign autographs. I I have a favorite saying that you know one of my dear friends came out and he watched me sign autographs for thirty minutes after a ball game one night, and he said, uh, "Any society that wants your autograph is a society that can't endure." And I would walk around the ballpark once in a while. And in the, in the first two and a half years, I was a hero. And one night I walked around the ballpark and I'm in right field. The people are standing, cheering. And after the game, Jay Buhner came up to me and said, I'm running into, I'm running into walls. And I'm killing myself. <laughs> and they boo me. You make one appearance in right field and they love you. But I, but I, then I became a pariah. Um, and um, it, it, was, it was an interesting experience. I think everybody should be a pariah once in your life. Uh, but it's not a lot of fun going through it. Do you laugh if you're watching an old Seinfeld and you hear uh, Frank Costanza rip on that Jay Buhner trade? How could you trade Jay Buhner? <laughs> Ken Phelps. Ken Phelps. Ken They're Phelps. T- yeah. And, yeah. And, and Jay was a great guy. Um, we, we were once, the Yankees demanded short haircuts. Yeah. So I sent a note down the clubhouse and said to Randy Johnson, you have to cut your hair. And I sent the same note to Buner. Now Buner was balding, and, yeah. And so it was, you know, Buner did not think that no was doubt. funny. But no. we we had a lot of fun. We I, had great great people. And I and and Junior was. I I think if Junior hadn't been injured, he would have been the greatest baseball player who ever lived. Did you take a a, a shot at maybe trying to get back into the baseball ownership game in the two yeah. thousands? And if you read the book, uh, we almost bought two or three other teams. We had a chance to buy the Dodgers. In retrospect, you. You learn all my mistakes. When I got out of baseball, I'll tell you one story if we got time. Yeah. David Stern was a dear friend. He ran the NBA. And David called me one day in our last few months in Seattle, and he said, I have a, 
I have a bet with somebody. He said, I have a bet that if somebody offered you the Mariners today for free, and the two conditions were you had to stay in Seattle for 10 years, and the economics of baseball couldn't change in 10 years, would you do it? And I instantly said, of course not. I said, the free team you've just given me would cost me $500 million in losses in 10 years, and that doesn't get into the psychic cost of hitting your head against the wall every day. And he said, thanks, you just won me 20 bucks." But when I got out of baseball, he was very kind, and he offered me a chance to take over the Houston Rockets. He said, oh, really? put in whatever money you want. And I said, David, my first love is Emma's. Uh, and Emmis had gone through a recession, and Emmis had problems, and I said, i got to go fix Emmis. And he reminded me of how much the Rockets were worth as time went on. <laughs> so Jess Mullion in studio, we're talking about his book. You um, recently, as I was a part of this too, uh, you bid farewell uh, with the sales of, of Ennis Communications, the radio division of right. Ennis Communications. Right. Um, I know how it's been for us in this transition. How has it been for somebody that has been so deeply woven in the fabric of radio his entire it, life? It's hard. Um, it, it was the right decision. We knew that. We knew we weren't big enough to to do some of the things. And we watched, watched the biggest guys in the industry have their own problems. And we said what we really loved was, was buying things that grow. And we just couldn't find a way to make it grow. So we felt it was time to move on. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just you're, you're probably – you're. I'm assuming you're routine oriented. I'm very routine yeah. oriented yes. here. And when that routine like that's broken, that yeah. probably will take more than just a couple of months to get used to. Yeah. And this is a business, I, you know, I don't think anybody loved this business more than me and the people around me. Um, but we're now onto some new challenges and we're having fun. So you, I think, yeah. You were on the USC board of directors and yes. I had just mentioned where I, I read via TMZ that, that Jeannie Buss, who is also the yes. owner of the Lakers yes. on that board of directors is yes. marrying Jay Moore. I, 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 I'm, yeah, I know Jeannie and she's a lovely, lovely woman, lovely woman. Wow. Marrying yeah. Jay Moore. Yeah, well, I she's well preserved Moore. at sixty-one too. Yeah, Let me tell a, you that a right very there. Pretty woman, I will say. Yeah, Jay Moore. I think is my age. He doesn't look equally as well preserved no, at my age. Jeannie's a very pretty woman. <laughs> and a very nice woman. Very nice woman. Incredible. How can people get your book? Uh, they can get it anywhere. They can go to Amazon and buy it. They can go to bookstores and get it. Uh, you know, they can download it on Apple. They can download it. They can if you really want to torture yourself you could buy the audiobook and listen to me for 300 pages i you could listen to me read for 300 pages that's worthy too because you kicked kyle and i out of that fifth floor studio for yeah. a long period of time to oh, make that happen yeah well it's, that's right i did it on the fifth floor <laughs> and i had and and they said you're gonna lose your mind but it was fun that's yeah right. well and, and no i i spared you the the sound garden comment and yeah. the the chris cornell comment about you but yeah. uh it is a fascinating life. It really yeah, is. It, it's um, been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've been surrounded by fabulous people. i got a great family, and uh, I'm very fortunate. Thank you so much for what you've done yeah. for me, for us, and this genre. Because without you, this doesn't happen. Yeah. I appreciate that, John. I but really uh, you have been awesome. Uh, you you rescued me, you know, twelve years ago from another place too, and I can't I can't thank you enough for well, what you've done for me. It's my pleasure, and uh, congratulations on a great career. You've done a great job. Thank you very much, Jeff Smalley. And again, the book is "Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down: The Ups and Downs and Reinvention." of an entrepreneur Amazon where you buy books that's where you can find that it is a fantastic multi-dimensional read that I promise you you will love Jeff thank you thanks Jeff Smolian in studio right here Kevin Bowen on the other side 93 5107 by the fan 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. Yeah! 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Hey, welcome back. Thank you to Jeff Smullyan. Uh, again, his book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups and Downs and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. Uh, went all over the place with early radio, his thoughts on radio now. Uh, moving forward, um, not to mention the ownership of the Mariners, the possible ownership of not just the Nationals, which he was evidently in on in the 2000s, but also being offered up the Houston Rockets of the NBA. Uh, the invention of sports talk radio. And I love, you can look this up for yourself. I love when he gets ripped by Soundgarden. That's fantastic. <laughs> in the early 90s in Seattle. I forget what that show was called now. But it was an original show that aired out of Seattle in the early 90s. And Chris Cornell and Soundgarden, just an absolute rip job on him. But he was really good. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Hey, Jamby, did I hear this right? Jay Morris pulling Jeannie Buss. Sounds like a compelling interview. Rehash the Polian interview piece and segue into how he landed with Lakers royalty. I have no idea. My man must have some sort of uh, magic. He was married to Nikki Cox. You guys remember Nikki Cox, the actress? She was on that show with Kevin Conley, who was most renowned for being a part of Entourage. It was called Unhappily Ever After. It was kind of like a married with children Nikki Cox, he was married to her for a number of years. I don't know how he's pulling Jeannie Buss. That is a hell of a question right there. But yeah, that Jay Moore, that Jay Moore as a part of the the interview, December 2001 with Bill Polian, of which I was in the room and a part of right there with Mark Patrick, if you remember. Um, No doubt we are going to get some jacket off weather coming up here. Now, we'll keep you updated on the status of the jacket off weather tomorrow. We're going to be live at the legendary Slippery Noodle Larceny Bourbon Locks. Luna's old tequila shots. More on that in a second, but on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, the morning shows, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings, 7 until 10 a.m. It is Kevin Bowen with us. So are you screaming and yelling about this play to go to Foles now, or are you like me where you say it just doesn't matter? Yeah, I, I – um... I've been a fan of Benjamin Matt Ryan for several weeks now. Um, I think, honestly, the financial component's the biggest thing. You know, when you look at continuing to play Ryan, running the risk of owing him an additional $17 million for next year. $17 million is a whole lot of money. Uh, I know Chris Ballard isn't one to spend a whole lot in free agency, but if that shifts, if that changes, if there's a mandate from the owner to shift that approach, if there's a new GM – uh, you can do a whole lot of damage with $17 million. And so the fact that you continue to run Matt Ryan out there and run the risk of him getting hurt and having to owe him that on top of the $12 million you already owe him for next year, uh, I, I just thought there was no reason to play him. I'd rather see Ellinger just because I don't think Nick Foles is a part, you know, long-term clearly of what you want to do. 
Uh, but if nothing else, I, you know, and again, I don't think this greatly shifts like, oh, the Colts have gone from a, whatever, a 25% chance to win one of their last three games, and now they have Nick Foles at quarterback, so now it's 70%, you know, something like that. I, I don't think there's some great jump. But I do think you should just look like a little bit more of a functional offense. I mean, you you didn't look like that at all with Ryan. So if that allows for better evaluations with some of your young guys, then I think that's a benefit. Um, again, when you're 4-9-1, and one, it's probably not worth, like, making a whole lot of noise about it. But I do think there are some benefits to mostly benching Ryan more than anything. Um, again, I would have opted for Ellinger, but if you're just looking to get a little bit of a better gauge of what you're doing on offense, you know, maybe Nick Foles will help you out there for a couple games. Kev, does this dictate, and my thought is that I've seen enough of Ellinger. Um, my thought is that clearly they've now seen enough, but is there a component maybe at work here is you bring Ellinger back and let's say he has, has some success and you got to screw around with that at all for next year. Is that a component here at all? Like if you would have gone to Ellinger and he yeah, and all of a sudden he yeah. he like you know has a level of success unseen by any quarterback so far this season here down the stretch in the final three. Is that a component at work here at all, or is that just crap? Yeah, I haven't really given that too much thought. I guess my initial, my initial reaction would be just too small of a I think it's too small of a sample size. Um, and again, I, I don't think Ellinger would have that success to necessarily make you pause. I mean, I know the owner likes him, but again, I don't think like him enough to all of a sudden reshape or reshift whatever 2023 quarterback plans you would have. Um, I kind of view it more of, again, do you get a better idea of is Ellinger a definite backup for you moving forward? I mean, Foles, for what it's worth, he's got another year under contract here. Now, Nick Foles signed a two-year deal here for very specific reasons. Yeah, One, to be with Frank Reich again. Two, to be Matt Ryan's backup. So both of those are now gone. Um, so I, I get that he's under contract, but he's probably earned the right slash I don't think the Colts are in that dire of a situation where they need to like hold Nick Foles' feet to the fire and demand that he stays here next year. Um, so I probably look at it a little bit more of like, again, can Ellinger be your backup? Um, you know, it, it, in kind of the makeup of the quarterback room, and, you know, it's December 21st, so – we'll see if my mind changes. But right now I kind of look at next year as you draft the quarterback in round one. Sam Ellinger, of course, is in your quarterback room. And then I would think some sort of veteran would be in there. Well, Not Matt Ryan. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's why That's why I think, I think that's part of this, too. That was the component I was going to talk about was get another year from Foles and he's going to be, you know, the backup or the veteran when they go out and draft Will you Levis. You that, though? Um, I – I don't know if he would mind it, right, if you're getting paid to play when maybe you don't have an opportunity anyplace else in the NFL, correct? Yeah, and I guess that would be a question. You know, how does the NFL view him? Um, again, I don't think he comes here if Frank Reich is not not the coach, um, you know, dating back to last offseason. Um, again, as you pointed out, you know, who knows what, you know, oh, Nick Foles is very sought after. I don't think we're there anymore with them, but I still think he would be attractive to some other spots, you know, trying to groom a young quarterback. Maybe he has other coaching connections elsewhere. Uh, to your point, I mean, he did think he was going to be here for two years. He moved his family here. Um, I mean, there were definitely, you know, reasons why 
he he chose here and believed it would be definitely a two-year run. So maybe the family aspect and not wanting to move his family again for a guy that's moved a whole lot over the last few years, uh, maybe that would play into it. Um, but I think it's more just – I think it's Jeff Saturday finally realizing that like Matt Ryan was a turnover machine, but it's not even like he was making big plays with those turnovers. Um, you know, it, it's not like this is a dude that was throwing for 350 and three touchdowns and then also had two picks every game. You know, he obviously wasn't sniffing the big plays from a passing game standpoint, finishing off drives and those things. So I think when you factor that in, Saturday looked at it and said, I'm, I'm done with Ryan, and I just don't think Jeff is very much a believer in wanting to go youth. I think he's a guy that kind of sides with the veteran leadership and obviously Foles has a ton of experience in this league, and that's why he's going that, that, that path. Cause he knows what his resume looks like right now, and it's, it, it's ugly from a win-loss standpoint, and he wants to get this job. And so I think he views it as, can I spark something here in the final few games to uh, possibly have this permanently? So, Kevin Moore the morning show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I want to double back to this with a question for you coming up in just a second. But how hard do you expect Jim Mersey to go out after Jim Harbaugh? Um, I think he would be on a list, certainly. Um, you know, I, I, I think you'd have to make quite the recruiting pitch, though, for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, probably, honestly, the first thing you'd want is for Michigan to win the national title here coming up. Yeah, that's no doubt. That's yes, correct. Uh, you, you would want that to happen, so he has, you know, checked, you know, the most important box and and why he took that job. Um, but again, you're going to have to financially certainly make an aggressive pitch. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Harbaugh is making just slightly less at Michigan what reportedly Frank Wright was making with the Colts, and I think I, the numbers, if I have them right. Reich was at $9 million annually, and Harbaugh's like a little bit north of seven. Um, and then it's not something he had in San Francisco, but, you know, the college game, he obviously has it. You know, does Harbaugh want any roster control? I mean, that is a huge, huge element to, um, I think, pursuing some of the most sought-after candidates if that's what they want and that's what they feel like they deserve. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a coaching cycle where there's tons and tons of openings. Um, so you can look at that a couple of ways, you know, the might be scarce for some people, uh, but without a ton of openings, guys might be a little bit more selective in their process. Like, I don't think it's a must that Sean Payton needs to coach next year in the NFL. Um, I don't think it's a must that Jim Harbaugh needs to coach next year in the NFL. I mean, Doug Peterson took a year off and look how that worked out for him. So, um, I think that's something that you're going to have to make a pretty strong pitch to Harbaugh, um, and then also, you know, how does he view the quarterback situation and where's that draft pick? You know, I, I think that is an important element to um, you know, showing that next head coach, hey, we have something here that can help you get the next QB because um, you don't have that answer for wh- whoever you are pitching for that head head coaching job. But, hey, I guess back to the original question, I, I, I do think Jim Irsay um, would, would covet Harbaugh. I just think that there are like two great unifiers of every of everybody uh, with the first things first in belief in decision making. And one is Harbaugh and the other is Peyton. Now, clearly, I don't think either one will end up here, but I do believe, at least on the surface, that there are two great unifiers of that. And it would be those two names. Yeah, I think 
Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I probably side with you in saying, I mean, obviously Peyton is not going to be here. Um, and I would, you know, be a bit surprised, honestly, if Harbaugh took the job here. Um, you yeah, know, that I won't happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I am curious just, you know, how much – does this job have any stain on it and how it's viewed around the NFL? Um, you know, from, again, the fact that you look at how the organization's operated over the last 12 months and the owner has made, you know, all of the important moves from coach to quarterback on several occasions. Um, does that influence anybody at all? Uh, you know, D'Amico Ryan is a name that I really like, 49ers defensive coordinator. He pulled his name out of the Minnesota job late last year. I think that had more to do with the 49ers making a playoff run. But, you know, is that something where, again, these guys that feel like they have pretty good resumes, feel like they're coveted or will be coveted for multiple jobs, maybe multiple jobs across several years, they're not necessarily going to, going to panic and say, oh, I've got to take this job at all costs. Um, you know, and maybe some first-time head coaches will feel that, uh, but some others that have a resume, like a Harbaugh, like a Peyton, uh, they would feel like they need to be a little bit more or can be a little bit more patient with it. So, again, I am curious when you don't have that obvious quarterback answer or the obvious quarterback resource in, let's say, Houston, having the number one overall pick, uh, that would create a little bit of pause for concern. And then I think second on that list, if I were a coaching candidate and I were interviewing the Colts, it would be, all right, explain to me whose voices are where and how this is going to operate because I think league-wide there is a little bit of a, man, have you seen what the hell's going on in Indianapolis this year? And I think that is something that will be brought up in the interview process. I just think this. I, I think with the name, that's why I said a great unifier. With somebody like Harbaugh, I think that hiring is made and then Jim Irsay steps away into the background and as a voice is very vocal as the owners are in the NFL is playing music and doing his philanthropy and things like that. That's when I think that he has uh, the confidence then where he, he steps back. It's not going to happen, but that's why I also call that, you know, a great unifier of all. And regarding Chris Ballard, I know my viewpoint, but I'm curious of yours. Is the belief that Jim Irsay has in Ballard right now more for what he has done with his football team and his franchise or more not wanting to pay somebody else while he's paying Chris to do it? Yeah, I, I do think the financial component is an element, but I would say it's honestly more ego and not wanting to pay four people to do two jobs over the next, you know, I guess four years. And by that, I mean, you're paying Frank Reich for four more years. Obviously you're going to pay a new head coach. Um, so there's two people you're paying to do one job. And then at GM, if you were to fire Ballard, you would be paying him for the next four years, and you would have to pay a new GM. Uh, that's very rare for Ursay, uh, unprecedented really, in his history, to be paying, you know, two outgoing two people you fired at head coach and GM, and then also obviously paying the two people you would have in house with that. So the finances of that would be huge. I mean, north of a hundred million, frankly. But more than anything, it's just I, I think it's a little bit more of, a, of an ego thing for him. Uh, I know you and I have had this conversation before, John, but I think part of it was his decision-making to not fire Chuck Pagano in the same cycle he did Ryan Grigson. You know, he, he, he kind of wanted to hold on to that, hey, I, I don't want to look like both of these moves were wrong. I want to hold on to one of them. 
when Chris Ballard really wanted no part of Chuck Pagano being his head coach in 2017. It was just kind of a waste uh, to have that 2017 season with a lame duck head coach and a new general manager, and obviously that lasted for one year, and then you saw the move that was made on that front. So uh, I do believe that Jim Mersey has always thought, you know, very highly of Chris Ballard, has still thought, you know, highly of him. I thought what could push Chris out the door is just continued embarrassment. Uh, and you've had that um, the last couple of weeks. You certainly have had that uh, on national television. But e- even saying that, um, I still feel like there's a chance and probably a decent chance that Ballard is back next year. Uh, obviously, it's Jim Irsay. So predicting exactly what he's going to do um, is probably not the smartest thing. But um, unless there's more embarrassment to follow here in the final three weeks, I, I just I can see Ursay bringing him back. Now, as we've talked about throughout this, again, who's got the voice, who's got the decision-making, you know, ultimate say, I think that's a big factor in deciding how many cooks are in that kitchen. And I don't think that's a very smooth process on paper right now, so you've got to decide that. Um, and then secondly, I, I, I would also kind of look at, and I don't know if Ursay views it in this light, but Jeff Saturday very often – you know, in recent weeks, when he's asked about, you know, his handling of this football team and the quarterback position and the offense, he's thrown in there like, guys, I knew this was bad. I mean, Jim doesn't bring me in here if things were good. And in eight weeks, what are you going to change? And, you know, part of, you know, you can kind of look at it like that, but you could also look at it and say, well, what's Steve Wilkes done in Carolina to where he's an interim head coach? And, yes, he's been at the job a little bit longer than, obviously, Jeff has. Uh, but they are – if they win out, I'm pretty sure they win their division. Uh, the Colts are not in that sort of position. But, secondly, the fact that Saturday keeps on saying this, and I'm not saying that he's wrong. What does that say about the roster that he inherited and the fact that there is no quick fix and that this team continues to have a really poor record and continues to put up embarrassing performances, honestly, probably a little bit more embarrassing than they had earlier in the season. If you're Jim Irsay, do you listen to all of Jeff Saturday and kind of read in between the lines and say, oh, boy, that doesn't sound very good about what he inherited from a roster standpoint, and and I think less to do with maybe the culture, quote-unquote, that Frank Reich left him. So Kevin Bowen, the morning show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. This is kind of what I believe. I believe that more than a future possibility of coach, as we have talked about before, Jeff Saturday is an informational guy. And you brought up 2017 and what led to the ouster of general manager Ryan Grigson and one more season of Chuck Pagano. We both know this because you were over there at the time. That was a consulting firm that they brought in to check over that, to see what was going on. And, you know, they, to their ability, found that, in their minds, uh, the problem was was Ryan Grigson, and ultimately Jim Irsay eliminated that problem. So it kind of makes you wonder if Jeff Saturday is kind of a bit of an offshoot of that consulting firm if he's being used by Jim Irsay to gather this information to find out what is going on within the organization. And at the end of the year, you find out that the problem is the the moves, the personnel, the blueprint of the general manager. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, when Saturday was hired, you know, I thought to myself kind of part consultant, part interim head coach that wants to be the full-time head coach. 
the more this unfolded, I, I, I really think Jeff Saturday wants to be here permanently. Like, I mean, he wants this job. Um, and I think Jim Irsay wants that to happen. Um, it, it, I, I think there comes a point in time where you've got to, you know, put your emotions to the side after the season and sit down and go through that entire head coaching process and, and really see what the candidate list looks like out there besides Jeff Saturday. But um, I think those parties want that marriage to happen. I mean, I asked Jeff last week, you know, do you want this full time? And he was passionate in saying that he he does and that what has transpired over the last month has only, I think, you know, created more passion in him to do this and he's got a vision for what it looks like and all of that. So yeah, there is an element of he's a very trusted guy for Jim Mercer that can be a, a bit of a consultant, but at the same time, this is not from some independent third party that you've got no prior ties to. Uh, this is a guy that wants this job permanently and Jim Mercer, I think deep down would love for that Hollywood story to play out. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a path that the organization should be taking, but I do think that's how both of those parties uh, view it. Well, then he must be privy to he's going to have a gig regardless because with what you talked about earlier, getting into this, taking over when he did, knowing how bad this was, and you know, obviously understanding that it wasn't going to get any better, you don't take that gig to look like this right now unless you have some security about, where you're going within this organization or just not going to be a part of it outright. Do you? Because I mean, he does, he's not, he's not covered in glory by any stretch here and it may not be completely his fault, but anybody that was going to take over was going to find this same situation and it was losing and it was embarrassing. And that's where they are right now. And if you're going to pull people out there, Kev, people are going to say, there's no way in the world. Jeff Saturday can be the head coach next year. So he's had to have some sort of, if if you're right about this, some sort of security that he is indeed going to be around in some capacity next year. Yeah, and that's why I think like you have to weigh the results at some level. I mean, again, I can acknowledge that Jeff Sander is thrown into a bad situation, but every interim coach is thrown into some level of a bad situation because like how else do you really gauge and properly – look at what he's done here because if you watch Jeff Saturday in a press conference, if you watch Jeff Saturday in a team speech, if you watch him, I mean, hell, Jake had him send a little pump up video to the North Central seniors, I believe it was, for their senior day or maybe it was their last game of the year. Like you're gonna fall in love with Jeff Saturday in front of a camera, in front of people, as a speaker, as a leader, all those things. Do the results matter at all? Because, again, if you watch him in those settings, you, you're going to fall in love. So at some point, you kind of separate yourself from that and look at how the team has performed under him. And they've gotten off the better starts. There's no question about that. Um, yeah, I think the offensive line play has improved a bit. Granted, the bar was incredibly low. But they continued to lose. They continue to be an awful offensive product. They continue to have an inability to finish games at a historic rate. And, again, they've been thoroughly embarrassed in historic fashion each of the last two weeks to end games on national television. And the Jimmer said that, I know, that would really, really piss him off. Um, does he have a little bit of blurred vision with that? Because it's just Saturday and he has such an emotional tie to him and really wants to get back into that era. 
I think that's a fair question to ask. But, yeah, I, I, I just think that is a big, big part of it. Of Again, you can watch Saturday behind the scenes. You can watch him you know, talk to players and talk to you and talk to the team and this and that. And you're going to come away thoroughly impressed and feeling a connection and wanting to like that guy. But at the end of the day, I think you have to weigh the results on field at some level. And right now, I, I don't see how what you've seen in these five games gives you any sort of reason to say, yep, that is our guy for the next five years. Well, I brought this up, and I don't think the results matter because you can say the same damn thing about going into year seven with Chris Ballard. In fact, you have to. Where do those results matter? So I would suggest yeah. if those results don't matter to where we are now and where we're likely going into next year, and then when you draft a quarterback where likely you're going into the year after that, then these results probably don't matter too much. Yeah, and again, this is probably going to sound like I'm carrying Ballard's water, and I'm not. Yeah, He's certainly had better results than Jeff Saturday has had here as the interim head coach. Um, I, I would agree you're now heading into – you know, year seven and his biggest core belief, arguably his two biggest core beliefs, you have major question marks about in the offensive line play and then the defensive line. I feel like your young guys have shown you a little bit, but still um, not to the level that you would want. Um, And obviously from a division title standpoint, you continue to miss out on that and it's sitting there on a golden platter for you down the stretch. And yet you're in no position to seriously threaten. So, um, I certainly get where you're coming from on that. Um, and, again, I think it's a very emotionally charged owner that's made some decisions here over the last few months and, and, and year. And if that creeps in with Jeff Saturday, then he is going to run it back with, with Jeff. But um, I do think they will go through an entire process. Um, I'm very curious if Chris Ballard will have any say in that process because I, if I think Jim Irsay listens to Ballard, I would think Ballard would be much more open-minded to, again, having a, a long, long coaching process, looking at a ton of candidates from a various amount of backgrounds. And in the end, it probably not being just Saturday. Um, obviously, Jim Mercy is going to have the final say in that, but how much will he actually trust Chris Ballard in the role that he hired him to be and with the praise of the greatest GM hire of the 21st century? Ursay uh, said that six years ago. Um but having said that, that voice has been pretty muted inside of his organization with some huge decisions over the last year. Uh, his foundation has failed here. There's no other way to get around it, and it's even more magnified with what you just brought up. It is of which that platter is out there with this division title, the first since 2014, and uh, the Colts are harmless to make any sort of run at it because of where yeah. they are and because – for the most part of that foundation, again, that's failed. So I don't know. I don't know what else you have to do. I'm, listen, I'm not. I don't have an agenda against the guy, but I just don't know how you see. You don't see this, I guess. So right, and I just don't understand how Jim Mercey doesn't view that in a little bit more of a critical light. In that, you know, when you were up there a month and a half ago, and I'm talking Mercey and Ballard and Jeff Saturday for that press conference. I mean, we were largely in that building late Monday night you know, back in mid-November because Ballard's most important position he believes in failed in the offensive line. Um, and, you know, Ursay was so public all off season long about this division and this division. And, 
you know, I said it to you, John, entering the year. I, I don't think the AFC South had ever been there more for the taking. And it, it's unfolded in that way. Um, you know, Tennessee obviously got off to a really nice start, but eventually I just think the trade of A.J. Brown and the injuries have caught up to them, uh, big injuries. Um, and, again, some of these were preseason injuries that they had. Um, I felt like <laughs> if you could get to nine, you were going to win the division. Hell, eight might even win the division, depending how you know Jacksonville and Tennessee play out these final three games. You know, if you look back on Ursay's offseason comments, if you were to tell them all of that, that, that should be a very fired-up, pissed-off owner. Uh, now, obviously, he's fired Frank Reich, but how much of that is a reflection on Chris Ballard as well? Um, I think there should be a lot. You know, I, I mentioned this, you know, in, in regards to the lack of finishing here in recent weeks. When you think about that area, to me, quarterback, wideout, defensive end, those three positions I think impact finishing, closing out games more than any other on the, on, on the football field. You know, quarterback and wideout, how many times do you see Patrick Mahomes find, you know, a you know, Tyreek Hill back in the day, but find, you know, one of his pass catchers on a third down to extend a drive, be able to run out the clock. And vice versa, how many times did we, you know, watch for a decade, you know, number 93, number 98, close the door uh, when, you know, Peyton and, that, and those Colts teams got them a lead. And you look at those three positions, quarterback, wideout, defensive end, Colts just don't have impactful at those spots at all. And I think that is a huge reflection on their inability this, this season to close out games. So that would be another thing that if you're Jim Mercer and you look at Chris Bauer, you would say, uh, you know, why haven't these been more of a priority? Um, because your priorities aren't working out either in offensive and defensive line, and yet the roster construction belief that you've had doesn't really follow what 2022 NFL is all about. Yeah, well, you're constantly being outmaneuvered by those around you within your own division. And uh, that's that's problematic here. And then now I, I got to run here, but uh, we'll have plenty of time for this. This is probably more of a after the season conversation. But uh, yeah, what the hell? We had a little bit early. So Merry Christmas to everybody, I guess, out there <laughs> right now with that. All right, tomorrow morning, seven until ten a.m. It is Kevin and Query here on the Fan Morning Show. Are you going to be down there tomorrow at the uh, party where we're doing our thing yeah, too? I'm- yeah, I'm going to try and uh, hop down there. We'll throw in a little bit of a plug. we got Ryan Walters, Purdue head coach, joining us tomorrow okay, cool. at 9. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. And glad you're feeling a little bit better. And uh, I will see you tomorrow. But, uh, you got bring your mom, too. I'm going to get your mom drunk like we did that last time. <laughs> yeah, as long as you got some white wine with a lot of ice, uh, she will be happy to, uh, to throw them back. I am Mr. Alcohol. I have what she needs right there. Always, <laughs> always available. All right, buddy. I'll see you tomorrow. Hi, right, John. See you. Kevin Bowen, the morning show. I'm way over. My bad. Quick break. We'll come back. I got tickets to win and more. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Can I buy you guys a drink? Guess not. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Coming up in August, it is Zach Brown Band at the Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center. Number nine is going to go on us. Be a nice little Christmas gift for somebody that loves Zach Brown Band in your life right there. Take a shot at it. Number nine at 239-1070. 
coming up in August. I believe August the 6th is the date. Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center. Zach Brown Band, number nine, is going to be a winner. Boilermakers in action later off tonight. That's a 9 o'clock start. Uh, ESPNU, New Orleans, the Privateers. And the Boilermakers. Again, tonight at 9 o'clock, Iowa winner over Elon last night. Kennesaw State coming up on Friday night. Butler's got a big one tomorrow night. They lost in their opener in the Big East. UConn got them. 68-46 back on Saturday. This is a tough start for them at Creighton coming up tomorrow night. That is an 8 o'clock start for the Butler Bulldogs on the road at Creighton. I was trying to look up exactly. Last check, Eastern Illinois was up 10 uh, this afternoon on Franny and the Iowa Hawkeyes. And in fact, Eastern Illinois, yee. Can you imagine the shade of reddish pink the face of Fran McCaffrey is this afternoon? Eastern Illinois, is this true? This can't be true. They are 4-9. Eastern Illinois put up 92 points against Iowa at Carver-Hawkeye. 92. In a 92-83 win. Holy crap. Michigan, North Carolina later on tonight. Oakland, Michigan State, Maine, and Ohio State. And as I previously mentioned, number one, Purdue hosting New Orleans tonight at 9 o'clock on ESPNU. That is a look at the Big Ten numbers that afternoon. 92. The Hawkeyes gave up 92 at home to Eastern Illinois. Shout out to Charleston, Illinois for that, everybody. Well done. Trying to see if there is anybody of the Hafter kid. I don't know how much he played. I think that Hafter kid from Westfield plays for Eastern Illinois. Let's see if anybody else is a part of that. But, man, that is ugly for the Hawkeyes, to say the least. Quick break. We'll come back, wrap things up. Again, Nick Foles is going to be your starter for the Colts coming up on Monday night. We have talked about that. Kevin Bowen joined us. Jeff Smolian of Emmis was in studio about his new book, which was fantastic. And Kristen Neri with the uh, check that the Pacers and the Celtics coming up later on tonight. That is a 7.30 tip, 7 o'clock, your pregame right here. Kristen Neri and everybody on the show today, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Quick break. Back with you. Final time next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, there you go. Yacht Rock Review, New Year's Eve. Tickets available right now. Going to be a great party, Yacht Rock Review, Murat Old National Center, coming up on New Year's Eve. Number nine at 239-1070 is going to go on me. Tickets are available starting at $25 or less right now. And all you got to do is go to LiveNation.com and check them out. I'm telling you, you get a little bit of me on New Year's Eve on the JMV Takeover as I return. Then go over and check out Yacht Rock Review and then get back out. And then I am putting the hammer down after midnight on the JMV Takeover on New Year's Eve. So, 
Number nine, 239-1070. A pair of tickets. Yacht Rock Review. Mural National Center coming up on New Year's Eve. Parker, great to see you. Kyle, great job out of you. Jeff Smolian, Kevin Bowen, Kristen Airy. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. A little winter storm pre-gaming. The legendary Slippery Noodle with Brent Halverson tomorrow. Larson Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots. We'll see you there at three. Free samples to everybody.